Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. This is Reservations, and I'm Rain Whalen. And I'm Benjamin Frankenbutt. Again, with the, with the butt ones. There's a lot of them, so get ready. Oh, <laughs> it was popular when Haley and I were making the list. Uh, that's so. Benjamin Frankenbutt. Yeah. <laughs> it... it it's it's almost like a like a distant cousin for Frankenberry. They get sillier, by the way. So I mean, fuck. <laughs> they get sillier as the movies we picked get more serious. I guess this movie's not that too. Um, well, I mean, and it's the, Halloween. The under- Happy Halloween, everyone. Yeah. Uh, yes, an actual Halloween episode that wasn't forced. <laughs> well, unlike or our- that we lost. Um, Shout out to Rocky Horror. That episode, no one will ever hear. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Yep, 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 yep. We'll redo um, it. I've almost oh, yeah. forgotten everything I said, so that's pretty good. Yeah. Was that going to be the Halloween episode? I think or, so. Or was it just going to land on Halloween and we're like, perfect? I think it was chosen for Halloween, if I remember correctly. Well, so. to be honest, I don't even remember how we lost it. I don't know. I don't remember if like the oh wait I do remember the fucking audio and video hadn't been recording the whole time I think I don't remember <laughs> classic. Uh, truly truly don't remember that's classic uh, us through and through yeah no it really is uh but yeah happy Halloween everyone again uh Halloween episode that's not forced um or themed <laughs> or themed yeah like like last year's spooktacular with yeah. evil dead one and two um but welcome back everyone uh in case you forgot uh we had to delay this episode about a week uh just because um jeremy had did some traveling went to lubbock came to midland we hung out yeah uh i got a haircut because, you know, the last episode, my hair was longer. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, it's uh, it's looking good. It's, uh, yeah. it's pretty good. Yeah, I can. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and also, uh, not necessarily a recommendation, but uh, we finished, not together, but we finished uh, Mike Flanagan's new show, The Fall of the House of Usher, which was awesome. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, again, um, it's in third place uh, for his um, miniseries so far. Yeah, yeah, Hill House, Wait. I think, uh, it's is top it's top, it's amazing. Yeah, um, no getting around it. It's the best. It's the best there yeah. is. Plain and simple. Yeah, it's it's terrifying. It's um, heartbreaking, and I don't think uh, I don't think Mike Flanagan will ever be able to recreate that. Um, sidebar before we get into the actual episode, did yeah. you hear, I don't know if you knew this, but Frank, uh, Franklin Gella was originally supposed to be Roger Usher. Yes. Um, but then that's when, uh, a lot, he was getting a lot of, um, shall we say not savory news. Whoops. And, uh, thankfully Bruce Greenwood came in and, uh, honestly, guess- bro, which makes sense because the whole time I was racking my brain, I go, he's not that old. So I don't know what they're, you know, um, 
but whatever. Um, yeah, it was, uh, he was amazing. Of course he's always amazing and everything. I, I always, when I tell dad and I can't remember his name, I'll go, it's the guy from double jeopardy. And dad goes, yep. <laughs> it's every time. Um, he's like, yeah, that's yeah. the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Bruce Greenwood. Honestly, I, <sighs> I don't think there was anyone better. And also it sticks with Mike Flanagan's whole reusing actors, yeah. you know, yeah, definitely. Bruce, Bruce Greenwood was in uh, Gerald's game. I think that's it really. Okay. Um, there you go. Um, but, but yeah, it was, it was good. It was good. Uh, definitely, definitely check it out. If that's, if that's what you're into and you got eight hours, um, yeah. go for it. I um I actually do have a recommendation. Okay. Um, I was extremely lucky um that I got to see um David Fincher's The Killer yesterday. Um oh. I loved every second of this movie. Um I mean, Fastbender, you know, you can't go wrong. Um based on a graphic novel I'd never heard of but isn't it isn't it supposed to be on it'll be on netflix in november november 10th so um so be on the lookout for that uh highly highly recommend guys it's like the perfect movie for me i don't know i thought it was awesome so um go check it out when you have the chance um it'll be on netflix like i said november 10th and if you live in a place that I, I had an Alamo draft house 20 minutes away. So I, I just, uh, they were showing it there. So, um, maybe they're still showing it. So, uh, check your well, local theaters. Well, and also you, you got to see killers of the flower moon too. I did. Yeah, I did. Um, also very incredible. jealous, very jealous about that one. Yeah. Um, just because, I mean, it's Scorsese. Yeah. And he's got his two heavy hitters in one movie, uh, Robert and Leo. And they're doing heavy um, hitting, too, for sure. It's, uh, yeah. and Lily Gladstone, forget it, dude. Um, she's in one of the best uh, episodes of Reservation Dogs. It's like, dude, <laughs> he can't, it's so good. The movie is, is really, truly great. So, um, I could have sworn that it was going to be on Apple TV because I know Apple helped produce it mm-hmm. or at least distribute it. So I could have sworn I saw somewhere that it was going to be on on Apple TV, but maybe it not might for be. a while. It's, it still might be. I think not until like December or January, I think maybe. Yeah. Here, um, let me let me see. Yeah, you, take, you, you peep that because um, Killers I of the did, Flower Moon. I could have sworn I saw it. it Coming. Be- yeah. All, all it says on it. If you're lo- if watching this episode on YouTube, um, all it says on my Apple TV app uh, in theaters now, Killers of the Flower Moon coming at a later date, Apple TV Plus. Mm, okay, so TBD. Yeah. Um, yeah, hella, uh, super excited for that. And as I just recently learned, too, of a short film that Scorsese did with Leo and Robert called The Audition. Oh, yeah, yeah, that came out which, like 10 years ago. I just recently learned about it because I saw a clip of it where Leo and Robert are like throwing jabs at one another. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? This is hilarious. 
because Leo yeah. kept doing the whole like, well, let me talk to my director real quick. <laughs> it's it's so good. Yeah, I don't even remember. Like it, I don't know. It could have been when he was doing the Revenant, or after that, you know, like mm-hmm. right after he did the Revenant, maybe. Yeah, I think so because he his hair was still long and he saw his uh, his beard. So. so I don't know, or maybe he was preparing for it. But it was a long time ago when that came out, and then that's when the rumor started that they were doing a movie together. Um, mm. And here we go. We're however yeah. many years later, and we got it, so. I think uh, I think eight because I think the short film was twenty fifteen. Oh, okay, there you go. So anyway, but uh, we're not here to talk about those movies, unfortunately. No, just did. Um, bad. Yeah, but we just did. Um, so if you remember um, two weeks ago from our Dear Zachary episode, uh, today we are discussing the 1988 animated or anime, I should say anime film Akira, or as I learned over the extra week we had to prep for this episode, uh, apparently it's actually pronounced Akira. But to make things easier, we're, I'm just going to say Akira. Sure. Sure. Um, so this was a first watch for the both of us, yes? Or you'd already seen it? No. Um, no. No. Okay. I, I'm going to call this one a first watch because I did attempt to watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, one other time and I'll be honest with you, I got distracted. So, uh, and, uh, as I would later learn, I'm not alone. So, uh, but we'll get into that a little later. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this was the first watch for me and between the two of us, I'm the, uh, I'm the weeb. I'm the anime fan. Um, but I just, I'd never seen it. You know, everyone told me about it. Um, cause it is, you know, it is the reason why American audiences kind of gravitated towards anime later on. It was because of this movie. Yes. Um, which is insane to me because, you know, you know, you and I grew up with, you know, Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh. So it's like, if this movie would have never came from Japan, I don't think we ever would have grown up with those. I mean, probably not. So, I mean, they were, they were obviously, you know, they had, it's not like they had just started doing it and then right. Akira came out and then, you know, then they're like, oh, we can keep doing this. They'd been doing it for years and years before that. Um, right. And then this movie came out, um, Western audiences saw it, loved it, um, got a huge positive response. Then they saw Ghost in the Shell and then it was over. Yeah. Right. And then yeah. now anime is for the world, not just for uh, Japan. Um, yeah. And it wasn't just, I don't think the, the story and the action and the excitement and the entertainment value of the film, which is there. Right. Mm-hmm. But a lot has to be said about the technical aspects of making the film, which um, of course I think is even, I would say it's 60% of the success. Um, yeah. I would say the other 40 is the the story and all the stuff I just mentioned, but the tentacle aspect I think is a little bit more valuable in this case. And mm-hmm. uh, we'll get to that, but I think we should talk about the story as best we can. Um, yes. Because as we will sort of get to, um, when it comes to the source material, um, the graphic novels, or what are they called? 
the manga. Thank you. Um, there, there's nine or there's some- six, six, but they're over two thousand pages, which is unheard of. Well, and they weren't, they weren't finished publishing the last book when this came out. So this movie sort of uh, this movie determined how the books ended right yeah um but in doing so they had to what they ended up doing was they took like the first half of the first book and the last half of the last published book and then they made this movie out of the two uh and sort of wove them together um which Again, we'll get to, but that's where sort of like around the halfway mark, people are sort of like, what's happening? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so since this was my pick, do you want me to kind of, do you want me to do it or? Okay. All right. So uh, Akira is um, a, uh, a cyberpunk dystopian thriller um, after Japan is hit with some sort of nuclear fallout. In 1988, um, we fast forward to 2019 and the country has rebuilt itself uh, in this almost and we'll probably mention a lot Blade Runner-esque world. um, Takes place in the same year as Blade Runner, too, but that's fine. Yes. Uh, But I mean, well, Blade Runner was a a huge influence. Yeah, obviously. and we, even though society has come back together and to build what they now call Neo Tokyo, um, there's still a lot of civil unrest. Um, there are protests on a daily basis. Uh, kids are feral and have all created uh, motorcycle gangs uh, because they don't honestly they don't care because the the pessimism and um, I can't think of the other word, but the kids, they don't, they don't care about this world because the world doesn't treat them well. So why would they care? Mm. Um, and this all kicks off when one biker gang, um, which I never realized this was the name of their gang until I watched the video, uh, called the capsules, um, led by our two main characters, Kanada and his best friend Tetsuo. and uh while they were being uh hooligans tetsuo gets in an accident with a a government experimented child which awakens tetsuo's uh latent psychic abilities and essentially from here in the story and we'll get to it and what you've already kind of teased to is where the story kind of bobs and weaves a little bit uh, because essentially Tetsuo's psychic abilities uh, essentially turn him into a psychopath um, where he goes on a rampage throughout Neo Tokyo trying to find the one they call Akira because he keeps hearing this name Akira and Akira is supposed to be the most powerful psychic being. and. The story, again, story bobs and weaves a lot between Kanada trying to go and rescue Tetsuo, um, 
we get some of their background and their friendship through flashbacks um, until the whole movie culminates in this essentially really gross body horror uh, explosion where Akira, which we'll get into, is reawakened and takes Tetsuo to another plane of existence. And that's Akira. <laughs> I, I yada yada through a lot of that because I, I figured we would kind of sit with some of these elements and break them down. Um, but yeah, so like you were saying, yeah, the movie is the movie is in a way a companion piece to the manga because a uh, video I watched is, yeah, it was based on the first manga and then uh apparently actually the one it was being you're right it's being published but the last one wasn't published until the movie was over so the movie had already come out and the last one was finally published Mm -hmm. and so the movie is essentially a companion piece there was a, a really great video i watched about it hopefully future rain will link it somewhere um where the uh, the host of the video was talking about how so because of this the movie isn't a true adaptation the movie is if you think about it the original piece and so were the manga because since the manga was still being published while the movie was in production as you said um the creator of both the manga and the movie um i even looked it up to make sure i could do it and i'm already struggling katsuhiro uh, Otomo was able to expand things on in the that he mentioned in the movies in the book and well not really vice versa because the movie he had to kind of move move the plot along but there is sort of this disconnect where mm-hmm. it feels like we're missing information and context that we're not getting yeah um yeah. So what I didn't understand watching the movie and y- if if I had just heard you say it just then I would have argued with you, but I've heard other people say it in like videos and like readings that that accident Tetsuo had with that um gremlin child um awakened his latent psychic ability. I thought when I saw the movie, I thought that them like colliding and and you know coming in such aggressive contact with one another mm-hmm. um passed along for some reason i don't know passed along these psychic abilities to tetsu because because that made sense to me and the other one doesn't make sense to me because um i guess at that time in the movie we had no context for that and i guess i wasn't paying mm-hmm. attention to the other stuff after that because um, because how else would he have gotten the stuff? He came in contact with one of the one of the old children, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, and here, this will make you feel better, buddy. I thought the same thing when I first watched. Did the you? Movie. Okay. I was, and then watching multiple videos and reading a lot of stuff about it. Yeah. Just like you said, it pretty much everywhere says 
he already had the abilities and this awoken it. And I was just like, sense. okay. Um, uh, well, I was just like, okay, I guess, I guess that makes sense. I mean, that's fine. You know, it's like, didn't bother me. I'm just, you know, it, I just thought I knew and then I didn't. And I, but of course, like whatever, it doesn't matter. But well, and they kind of hinted that with Kay at the end of the movie that she has mm-hmm. her psychic abilities have awoken uh, as well. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> Just every, everyone's got it. Everyone's got abilities. You know, that's fine. Yeah. It's sort of like in Looper that some of them can just like hover things on their hands um, for no reason. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so it's OK. So once once Tetsu is like. um like coming to terms with having these abilities or even just noticing he's having these abilities, right? Because he was of course taken by the government. Uh, the government uh, runs tests on him, whatever. Once he escapes. Okay. And meets back up with his girlfriend and they take Canada's um, motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Um, here comes my favorite part of the movie. Okay. Is his mm-hmm. sort of, um, his sort of hallucinogenic freakout, right? Mm-hmm. Coolest part of the movie to me. I think it's so so rad because you know he's having that freakout and he's having these visions, and they're so they're so strange and so violent and and so visceral, right? Like when his guts fall out. I mean, <laughs> I'm in, right, dude. I thought for sure that was real. And then when it cuts back and they're gone, I was like, oh. Yeah. I mean, it's a really cool way to show that he's he's kind of losing it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, which are really uh, which I liked, obviously. But once we get to him sort of being full psycho, <laughs> like he's yeah. he's fully immersed in in these powers and has has gone completely off the rails and is very evil at this point. Um that's the first time that's when I started glancing at my phone <laughs> and was kind of flipping around on stuff. Um, because I, because I think what happened was, I don't know what's happening right now. So here's my phone. You know what I mean? Like I'm, yeah. I'm lost. Right. Yeah. Because then we're, we're having uh, Canada and what's her name in like the, the sewers or tunnels or whatever mm-hmm. with, with those guys. And they're breaking into, I think, the government facility. Am I right? Yes. And it shouldn't be this hard, Jer, <laughs> but it is. Um, and and then we're we're cutting to the old children still, and then Tetsuo is like out and about and like forcing his evil on on people and. You know, then he goes back to the government facility, I think, and then he escapes again and terrorizes the old children. Um, and then he escapes for the final time until and, and, and until the, uh, the the body horror stuff starts happening. <laughs> yeah, I think. But anyway, uh, all that to be said is that. I'm not alone in being confused. Um, 
I, I, w- I was reading and there are videos that say that around the 40 minute mark, which is early, uh, I think I lasted a little bit longer than that. Um, audiences started getting a little confused, right? Because yeah. this is where this weaving comes into play, where if you read the book, you kind of understand what's going on and what they're omitting and what they're adding and what what sort of they're they're putting together to create this through line. Mm-hmm. If you didn't, like me, uh, then you're sort of like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> I don't know yeah. who these people are. I don't know what matters. Like the the medicine woman who is sort of the leader of this um uh, of of these um this group um that are the the protesting group mm-hmm. apparently she's a huge deal in in the books like she's like one of the main characters right okay uh Canada not a main character in the book <laughs> hmm isn't that wild that he's, is wild. He's there for comic relief in the books, apparently. Um, hmm. Is what I read, uh, which is fascinating. That for this story, they're like, let's put him front and center, right? Let's change yeah. the dynamics a little bit and have him be sort of our 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 protagonist, our hero against Tetsuo, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, I do. I do find that. Uh, very interesting as well, just because you know, having having seen the movie and not read the books, you know, the movie it makes sense, you know, mm-hmm. especially as we learn through flashbacks that Tetsuo and Kanada are almost are pretty much brothers, and so it makes sense yeah. for Kanada to be the one to go head to head with Tetsuo. Yeah. Um. But for the manga, that's that's really interesting that Isn't it? that uh, Katsuhiro was just like, nah, he's the funny one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, to my understanding, that that is what I uh, uncovered. That he's not really. Uh, if I'm wrong, please let me know. Those of you who do know, um, I do know that we are treading on very delicate territory right now because this movie is a yeah. big deal to a lot of people. Okay. Yeah. Well, and you know, in and let, let's let's press pause just for a second with our not necessarily criticism, but I guess our critique. And I could see why this movie is so big because yeah. it's it's animation style. I think is oh, we'll get to that. That I know a lot about. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. We'll, we'll put a pin in that. But you know, it's animation style. I think is one of the the most fluid animation styles I've ever seen. So it's gorgeously animated. Mm-hmm. Um, the the story, even though we've been critiquing the story already, the story is still fantastic. Um, as as this dystopian cyberpunk body horror um, political genre mashup, um, it's still a great story, you mm-hmm. know. And again, I could see why it's been so influential, not only on um anime as a whole um but also filmmaking you mm-hmm. know shout out to our season premiere of nope uh jordan peele snuck in and akira motorcycle slide yeah uh at the tail end of the movie when um 
Oh my god, I I just blanked on. I mean, her real name is Kiki Palmer. So if you want, uh, yeah, I just blanked on Kiki Palmer's character's name. Oh no, but it, she, you know, she does it, and you know, Jordan was like, "Yeah, I had to, you know, I had to put in the Akira slide." <laughs> I mean, if she's riding a motorcycle, let's do that slide, you know? Yeah. So, you know, so yeah, I agree. We are, we are, we have to be very careful. People love it, and <laughs> rightfully so. I'm just saying, as as a novice, when it comes to this film and definitely when it comes, I know nothing about the uh, mangas, right? Nothing. So mm. um, I'm coming in pr- pretty fresh on this stuff. Um, but it was very cool. I, I enjoyed my time watching this movie. I thought it was awesome. I thought, it, you know, it's just, I got confused. I, I get confused sometimes. That's okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, it just takes it takes work, and that's fine. Movies can take work. I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, what we talk about real work in a second when we talk about the animation, but um, yeah, I think, and I I haven't seen a single thing about it. But as soon as I started this movie, and that guy's name is Tetsuo, I immediately thought of the movie Tetsuo. Okay, uh, mm-hmm. there's a film that came out the year after. Uh, in Japan, called Tetsuo. In America, it's called Tetsuo the Iron Man, which is the literal translation of Tetsuo. Um, and it is a bizarre sci-fi horror, body horror film uh, that is completely, uh, to use a modern term, it's unhinged. Okay? Okay. Uh, the movie is <laughs> insane. Okay? Um, okay. It's a little over an hour, and you're just seeing this guy be taken over by metal, okay? Mm-hmm. And completely consumed by it, and it being his whole body being taken over by it. And it's got a very unique, um, very unique style and a very unique um, way of shooting. They do, I forgot the, there's a technical term for it, but they do stop motion, but with okay. live action, right? So okay. they're, it's, it's amazing to watch. Um, but anyway, that's the first thing I thought of. And I, I, there were similarities between that film and the ending of Akira. Um, but I saw nothing mm-hmm. that said it, uh, it had anything to do with one another, um, even though they're a year mm-hmm. apart. So I don't, but, um, I don't know where I was going with that. I just thought it was cool. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, it makes uh, sense. Uh, oddly enough, I watched the video today. Um, breaking down the genre of body horror and they tell it in three parts from three different films. Mm-hmm. And uh the first one was Akira, obviously. The second one was Videodrome. Nice. And I think I didn't make it to the third one, but I'm pretty sure the third one was was Tetsuo the Are you serious? Man. Yeah. Nailed it. Um okay. So the I thought that I was the most the most engaged by this last this last bit of the film because things just go completely bananas and mm-hmm. and yada yada through so much but um, but when Tetsuo becomes like completely um completely overtaken by this evil the whatever it is right. Mm-hmm. Um, because really it's, I'm not really sure what caused him to be so evil besides, 
besides his feelings of inadequacy and feeling like always in Canada's shadow, right? Mm-hmm. And then once he gets these psychic powers, it's like all of that comes comes to a head and that he's using those feelings he has and and having them take over his personality, basically is what's going on. And the and the psychic powers are allowing him to act out this rage in devastating ways. I, yeah. And again, you know, we've been saying, I'm sure there's context in the manga that we're not getting, but yeah, it is interesting that it is almost like a full switch, you know, Mm -hmm. that all of a sudden one, he's, he, he's, so at ease with these powers already that like he's not there's no learning curve he's just like I mean, there's good. a little learning curve but i get it you're right it's very it's very nice. uh and and then yeah he's just but again yeah i think the film tries to do a good job of showing these flashbacks of of his inadequ- inadequacy living in Canada's shadow always feeling like he has to be saved and now well i can do whatever i want now right and so it's it's it is the, uh, and I apologize for the, the metaphor. I, as we were talking about off mic, I just got done playing Spider Man Two. It is definitely a with great power comes great responsibility kind of Lame. thing. Lame. Man. I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Um, but I mean, but it, but it kind of is because he could have easily, you know, as the old children, and I love that we're just calling them that. The old children try to tell him well, to no stop him. To call them. Um, they, uh, you know, he could have gone the other way. He could have helped them or something like that, but he didn't. And I think it is because of everything we saw in the, in the flashbacks. I needed more context for the old children. I, um, I thought they were fascinating. And especially with the, the introduction, well, which kicked off everything, right? Which is the 26, uh, escaped with that guy. That guy was helping him escape. Uh, mm-hmm. Then of course the, the the accident happened, and then it it kicked off everything. Um, so okay, I think I finally have an answer for that. Oh okay, and we're gonna we're gonna circle back to everything else about the film. So one of the biggest things that I was struggling to grasp with this movie is the point, because I know not every film has to have a point. But with this story, I was like, there has to be a point somewhere. And in all of the videos I dug up, all the things I read about it, um, essentially, this was, in a way, Katsuhiro's anxieties uh, in a post-world Japan. Mm-hmm. And how... World War II leveled Japan, and then within, uh, my brain's not braining, whenever World War II was, in the years following that, Japan had this economic boom, and everything changed for them. And so the film kind of really touches on those anxieties, you know, like when we fast forward to 2019. And Neo-Tokyo has been overrun with Western influence and Western capitalism. So there 
one of the things I read and I really liked, and it made sense, was this is Katsuhiro saying of the dangers of losing yourself, losing the losing Japan's identity to the West, to America, which is mm-hmm. oddly enough that American audiences love this movie. Um, so that's that's one thing, and then the old children kind of follows in with the um, why they look old. Uh, it's supposed. I couldn't find any tangible thing, but this made sense. Almost, it's representative of someone with radiation poisoning. Okay. Yeah. 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 No, that makes sense. Um, that that all makes sense because when this movie was made, um, you're right that Japan was like at the height of its, you know, economic power. Right. Like they were like, mm-hmm. you know sort of like America in the eighties. Right. I mean, it was, you know, it, it was whatever, but, um, but you're right. And I did, I did, it was either a video where I read it uh, about the, you know, the post-war Japan, obviously those parallels are there because of the atomic blast. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the, the, the fallout and the, this, sort of post-apocalyptic, you know, way of, of, of living with, um, with the anarchy and the, but not really because they still go to, these kids still go to school. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it may be, Um, maybe vocational school, but they still go to school. Yeah. They, they go to school and, you know, but there's motorcycle gangs, there's violence and there, whatever. Um, it's sort of like Mad Max, but not really. Right. Right. Uh, It's still, it's a civilized Mad Max. Yeah, <laughs> and, and he, yeah, and you're right. the The old children do resemble those who have, you know, suffered from nuclear fallout or uh, radiation poisoning. Well, and oddly enough, a uh, video I can't remember which one that I watched where they talked about this. They brought up a movie that you told me about. Um, and hopefully you'll remember okay. the title because I think I, I'm about to butcher the title. Um, they brought up, you know, during, you know, Japan having a lot of these anxieties about World War II, um, you know, they made a lot of films about it as I, I'm assuming as a way for them as a as a uh, country mm-hmm. to deal with these anxieties. Uh, they mentioned from the fireflies. Oh, Grave of the Fireflies. Grave of the Fireflies. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and they showed some scenes for that, and I was Tremendous like, oh, holy "It's so good." Like, oh, yeah. like, holy shit! Very sad. So it seemed, yes. But so it seems like with this movie, Katsuhiro wanted to go in the opposite direction. Um, yeah. Rather than actually showing it in World War II, what what have happened in 1988? Mm-hmm. Where would we be uh, 30 years later from that? Yeah. Which is which is really interesting. Um, but uh, there was one more thing I wanted to mention about it, um, and I don't remember. <laughs> it's okay. Um, but yeah, um, yeah. So that's I guess more so just like design choices. Um, yeah, which Blade, answers a lot of questions. Blade Runner is a is a good comparison because um, it is. I mean, it's you know it's very Blade Runner esque, right? Yeah. Um, and without it getting too crazy, like nothing seemed overly futuristic, you know, 
um, or distractingly inaccurate. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, yeah. But okay, let's get to the stuff I know about. So okay. Um, so the director, um, not only did he, you know, love, you know, he loved writing. He loved doing these. Um, he loved like animation and and writing and drawing and all that stuff. He loved film, right? Mm -hmm. Specifically, new Hollywood film. So we're talking Easy Rider, Bonnie and Clyde, um, uh, Dog okay. Day Afternoon, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. Um, and what he loved about the Midnight Cowboy has another one. Um, what he loved about these movies was that they were they were so different from like old Hollywood, right? So, which was the point. It's very counterculture, but not only were these like a lot of roaming films, like travel films, like Easy Rider, Bonnie mm -hmm. and Clyde. Uh, mm -hmm. But the, he he mentioned that these are just like regular looking people. Like these are sort of like you know, um, everyday, normal, plain people, which is kind of mean, but it's true. Um, yeah. They're, there's nothing spectacular about them, but they're doing spectacular things, right? Mm -hmm. And so when he was um, creating this story and creating um, this film, he wanted it to look different in a very unique way, right? So mm -hmm. I think why I do, I do like this movie a lot. And I think because... Someone like me who doesn't really enjoy anime, right? Doesn't really get it. Right. Be honest with you. <laughs> this movie is sort of palatable because it's not drawn traditionally anime, right? Mm -hmm. The everyone is drawn pretty proportionate. Um, yep. Especially the women. The women in this film are just everyday women, right? Which, yeah. if you know, you know, that's not usual. Right. Uh, yeah. When it comes to Japanese animation, that is unusual. Um, and yeah. even the 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 creator, he was like, dude, like it's easy to draw, like super cute, really like overly exaggerated, beautiful women. That's easy, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, this is this is more difficult because it's it's more real, right? Yeah. Um, the exaggerated things in this film sort of come with levity, so they're sort of the uh, like when they're being interrogated at the police station, there's a little bit of exaggeration with the way he laughs. And that's, you know, because it's comic relief, right? Yeah. But if it's not comic relief, it's not happening. So everything's pretty proportional. Um, so besides the way it looks like I, on a, like in a design standpoint, here's where things start getting really interesting is and remind me of his last name. <laughs> uh, Otomo. Okay. Otomo? Is that what you're Otomo. Okay. O-T-O-M-O. Otomo. He basically said, listen, zero shortcuts. Okay? Mm -hmm. None. And what that means is a lot of work. So yeah. this film is shot predominantly 12 frames per second. Uh, no, I'm sorry, 24 frames per second. I want you to think about that. A traditional yeah. film, a live action film shot on 
celluloid 35 millimeter and shot 24 frames per second. Okay. Mm-hmm. These people are drawing 24 drawings a second. Okay. Yeah. In some cases, it's 12. In some cases, it's, um, it's way more than 24 because they're doing slow mo. Okay. There are shots where we're pushing in on a character and the ground is even moving, proportionate mm-hmm. to the camera motion. Okay? Yeah. The the detail in the in the buildings, for instance, uh, some of the animators are like, yeah, some of them are like some of the windows are three millimeters, but when you go over here at this angle, it's one. But then when you go back here, it's just like a dot or a line and you really have to pay attention to what you're, you're like. What are you talking about? <laughs> like they're having to paint. This is just the background. They're having to painstakingly and accurately depending on the angle. You know what I mean? So to put this in perspective. Disney. Okay. okay. Even in the 1960s, they're cutting corners like crazy. They're like uh, for 101 Dalmatians. They started using Xerox um, mm, okay. to save time. And what I saw, that actually pulled them out of having to shut their doors forever. Because uh, if they had been doing it traditionally up until that point, it would have been too expensive. It would have taken too much time. And so once they figured out how to use Xerox to cut corners and to make it a little easier on the animators and to save time, um, they started doing that. And then, of course, a lot more with more technology later on down the line. Um, Another example, if we don't want to bash Disney, is Hanna-Barbera. They are notorious for animating just certain parts of the body, depending on what's going on in the scene. Of course, very famously, the background is always reused and recycled. Um, Depending on what's going on, you just see the loop of the same background over and over again while they're running. Um, Otomo's like, absolutely not. No, no, no. Um, The reason this film looks so fantastic is because of the work and and the just the sheer amount of manpower it takes to animate a film that looks and feels and reacts like a live action film. Yeah, it's incredible. You've never seen anything like it, and you may not even notice it, but. Trust me, if you go back, you're like, I I can't believe they were able to achieve this with animation. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that helps because this film had f- five different studios backing it. Yeah. So they had the money to to take time. But I feel like even if they didn't, I think, yeah, I think Otomo would have still like, no, we're going to take time on this because, you know, between the two of us, I've watched the most anime. Um, Agreed. <laughs> and not to say that any of the animes I've ever seen are bad or poorly animated or anything like that. But there's. But now seeing Akira, Akira, you can I can pick up on a lot of animes that have tried to replicate that style. Mm-hmm. Um one of the more one of the ones I can really think of is Cowboy Bebop, um, yeah. which is one that I know you love. Uh, but Cowboy it, yeah. Bebop, I do like it. Yeah, 
Yeah, Cowboy Bebop is one that they're really grounding this show that's essentially a space western in reality, you know, having within reason, ha- within reason, within. Yeah, there are some moments that are outlandish, but you know, like to your point, you know, I would say the most like for character design, the most outlandish is Faye Valentine. Um, she is a very um, disproportionate. And the kid, dis- the kid is. Uh, oh, Ed. Stereotypically yeah. anime, right? Yeah. Ed but- is. I'll go one step further and okay. and up until up until Akira, okay? No. Most if not all um anime especially was um post recorded for voiceover, meaning uh meaning the animation was done and now the voice actors have to match what they see, right? Which influences mm-hmm. their performance and influences their cadence and how they talk, right? Again, right. Tomo's like, that's insane. I want actors, and he chose sort of inexperienced voice actors because a lot of well-known veteran voice actors at the time know how to do the other way, know how to do the post, right? Which means they're Mm -hmm. so used to catering to the image, not their performance, right? So he's like, "Uh right. I want people to perform how they want and how they feel, and we'll just match that. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it is, and I'm not exaggerating. If you watch the the subtitled, which I did not, I watched the dubbed because I don't want to read yeah. it if I don't have to. Um, it's perfectly lip synced. Perfectly lip synced. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's insane. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because um, which is interesting that you bring that up because that's essentially how most English dubs are. You know, the animation's already done. Now you have this of en- English voice actor having to like, okay. Yeah. Um, to be honest, even though I always kind of figured that's how it was, I never knew that until recently. I'm just I'm gonna go off on just a quick tangent here, sure. but it does kind of come full circle. Um. Another one of my favorite animes is called Trigun, which I think I've told you to watch. Um, they just recently in a new animation company in Japan called Orange. They're doing a reimagining of it, and I, I've started watching it. It's it's different. Um, <laughs> they're they're kind of telling a more concise story. Uh, but Johnny Young Bosch, uh, an American voice actor who most of our millennial audience out there may know as Adam, the second Black Ranger from Power Rangers. Um, he voiced he voiced Vash, the Stampede, who's the main character of Trigun. He voiced him in the original run of the anime, and then came back to do the new version. And that's something he talked about: that this animation style that they're using is so precise mm-hmm. that the that he has to be he has to really watch, as he words it, the lip flaps. Um, to make sure he can get his his cadence correct, because I've been watching the dub, and even though there's there are little moments where it's very like early 1980s dub mm-hmm. where the mouth isn't matching up, right? Which is to be expected, hearing. which is how the American English dubbed is for this movie for Akira, right? It's it's you know you can't get around it. 
which, like I said, I was going to come full circle. Johnny Young Bosch voiced Kanada in the 2001 redub. Uh, buddy, you're frozen. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So I, t- I told you it was going to come a full circle again. Dead. That he. Yeah. But you um, know, even with but even with the Japanese voice actors, I mean, that's how it was. It was post, right? The you know yeah. they would animate it, and then we. I mean, this is the original voice cast. They would say match it, right? But mm-hmm. again, there's something about putting in the extra work. Which when I say extra work, I don't mean a little bit. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's full, crazy amounts of work uh, to let's match the voice, not the other way around. And so they would even he, this guy, he's insane. So he would even draw certain mouth shapes depending on what sound they're making, right? Mm-hmm. And what pitch and what you know tone they're in, just so like animators understand, like okay, but. Because again, in in Japanese, your inflection matters too. So, mm-hmm. um, so it's like okay, well, you know, again, when he's with this inflection, that's what his mouth is going to look like, right? Right. <laughs> the insane level of detail is unmatched, and of course, that's what I think. That's what's going to capture your attention, even when you're confused, <laughs> like me. Um, yeah, because you're like. You're just staring at it and you're like, I can't believe how good this looks and, you know, and how smooth it is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you're, you may not even notice that it's so far above the quality of a traditional animated whatever, right? Um, right. But, I mean, if you take the time and you really start paying attention to the detail and and to again just how how things react to other things and how the way the the camera is <laughs> how everything else shifts too it's amazing right and how much yeah. work that takes even if you don't notice it, they, they don't care um yeah the only problem with the animation is i think it dips a little bit near the end in quality that would be my only that would be my only criticism is that it again we're not talking a huge we're not talking a huge dip in quality we're talking we were at 100 in the beginning and mm. near the end of the film we're at like 97 you know yeah yeah and well and it goes back to what you were just saying about the 24 frames per second you know that's what gives it such a fluid motion because i think yeah i think i watched a video where it was like they only use 12 frames, which is used for traditional mm-hmm. animated stuff. They only use 12 frames for the close-ups because they could, because we're only focusing on this yeah. one little piece here. But everything else, that's going to be 24. Or like you said, the few slow-mo shots, <sighs> shots that are in the movie, um, yeah, have to be animated longer. It's insane. Um, it's incredible. It, even the 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 long exposure of the lights uh, when they're when they're doing their motorcycle thing mm-hmm. uh oh, yeah. like you see that the 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 streaks the, the streaks the light streaks what is happening that's so cool <laughs> you know it's this yeah. movie is is a really cool movie and i think that's 
that's its staying power for sure is yeah is that it's just a cool movie you know yeah you know i mean and that's why uh you know they've been trying to make a live action adaptation good luck for years well i don't know if you knew this or if you heard or if you did know um i'm just gonna tell our audience zach um (laughs) supposedly uh taika watiti's um gonna be doing the live action version we'll see. Uh, that he that he's helping with the script. But here's what's interesting. I read today that he had dropped out because of like the development hell that this movie's been in. since apparently like 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, so this movie has been in development hell. And so apparently he dropped out, but then he was like, no, I still fully intend to make this movie. It's just going to come after my star Wars movie. But now a lot of people are saying it seems like he's refocusing back on Akira and putting Star Wars on hold. So I'm like, but, but you know, I mean, here's my thing with this, though. Um, it'll be like a ghost in the shell situation. You know, you'll have people who are such diehard fans of the anime. See the movie. And if there's even one thing that doesn't feel right. It's it. Um, well, you know, it's going to be difficult because I would consider myself now a fan of this movie. I do like it a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Does it confuse me? Yeah, it does. But was it really cool to watch and was it captivating and interesting and entertaining? Yeah. So I liked it. But again, what makes it so amazing is the innovation, is the the work and the time and the detail put into it, it's mm-hmm. it's it doesn't feel like a traditional anime. So you're watching something that feels familiar, yet it's super different and innovative. Um and I don't I don't care to watch it a, a CGI film. I don't care. <laughs> I don't want it. You know? Yeah. Because that's the only way you're gonna be able to do any of it. Um Yeah. And um. I don't know. I just uh, I don't want to watch just actors in front of a green screen for two hours. You know, um, don't feel like it. And unless, unless they do everything practically, and that would be really interesting to see. Um, but if you thought this was expensive, which it was at the time, it was two. It was one billion yen, um, which isn't a lot in dollars. But um, it was yeah, like here, let's, ten let's million. See, um... In 1988, it's pretty good. Um, Quite a bit. Yeah, here, let's let's see. Even though, like, you have to adjust for inflation, which I, you think I know that shit? <laughs> um, let's see here. You said it was one billion in 1988. Yeah. It was one billion. Yeah, I probably 87. It took him a while to do this. <laughs> uh, Maybe longer. Where the hell is it? Oh, Japanese yen. There it is. Okay. So one captivating. I'm sure everyone is on the other seat. Yeah, I know. It's nothing like listening to someone do math. It's not doing it. It's not. Um, yep. Well, that's just shocking. Well, what? So well, so one one U.S. dollar equals about 150 yen. Hey. So. So one, it was, it wasn't like when they said the, when they said the amount of dollars, I was like, Oh, 
That's but again for eighty eight. That's still a lot of money. It was like it was like a ten bit ten million or something crazy. You know, like I mean, it's still like more money I'll ever see in my lifetime. But um, you know, in terms of making film, it's not really a whole bunch. Um, but with um, for them, this was like a gigantic undertaking in terms of like um investment um mm-hmm. for these five studios um a, a billion yen is a lot <laughs> so yeah uh, and you i mean where did it all go on the screen i mean you know what i mean it's it's all there it's just that's how much that's how much work it takes you know yeah and and it, and so to kind of not really get us back on track but you know dude i I agree with everything you're saying. You know, yeah, I, I was confused, especially at the middle part of the movie when we get this sort of oh, yeah, you know, political. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, not really the plot, uh, but like this political cue, the political coup. I was like, what is what does this have to do with anything? But yeah, the movie was entertaining, you know, especially because I feel like the movie gets back on the rails when Kanada faces off with Tetsuo in the last, you know, like 30 minutes. Yeah. I've, well, that's, that's not giving a lot. I would say less like 45 or so. Um, cause the movie's two hours long. So, yeah. but I feel like that's when the movie gets back on the rails and you're like, okay, like let's go. Yeah. Now I get what's um, happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, can I say, I really felt bad for Tetsuo's girlfriend. Um, oh, yeah. Kaori, that he accidentally crushes her yeah uh, whoops uh i felt really bad about that i was like man this poor girl can't catch a break yeah that was a, yeah she's she's been through a lot um yeah her story is also different in the book too is uh, my understanding um yeah well i mean we only really get like three scenes with her right i mean again movie. we're condensing a lot of these people's storylines to almost nothing right and we're having to change it in some cases like hers is completely different in the in the book anyway um they are they are dating in the book but it's different i, I don't remember how but um and again that medicine woman who i think is really interesting um has like a whole thing you know like yeah like she's in a few of them um and yeah. yeah so and again the whole thing with Canada not being like the person we're following is so bizarre to me but uh, because again you're it following is- all these different people anyway so i mean yeah he's not the main character he's in it obviously but uh, we're following all these other people too right and especially um with the with the last final blast right in, mm-hmm. in the book there's a there's a new explosion uh um, mm-hmm. and we're we're seeing all the characters we've been following for all these books uh react and where they are during this whole blast right which is you know it all comes together in this one big thing uh in, right. in the final moments which is interesting uh as for the movie we just really get it from Canada's perspective mm-hmm. And if I'm remembering correctly, it's really not as devastating as uh, the book is. Um, but then, you know, then I got confused again <laughs> because um, so I get 
that Akira is in these in these bottles, right? Mm-hmm. And um, like, there's a spinal cord there. There's like a nervous system there. There's a gallbladder there. I don't know. But once they're out of their glass, um, he's able to, I guess, psychically reassemble himself. Um, I guess. And, yeah. And, and and take Tetsuo. Like you said in the beginning, to this other plane of existence, it seems as if he's now like the supercomputer at the end of that Asimov short story. Like he's everywhere now. Um, yeah, everything I read is essentially yeah. He takes him to another dimension where it creates like a new universe. Oh, and that's why, and that's why he it ends with him saying. I am Tetsuo because it's it's almost like a like a, a kind of like a loop, you know, where people in the world that we've been following know of Akira. Mm-hmm. And then now in this new universe, people will know of Tetsuo. I see. I see. Okay. At least that's what I understood as I read it. I was like, OK, that makes sense. It makes more sense than anything I would have come up with. So, um <laughs> Okay. Well, because you know, like I, I understand that he's like expanding now. He like can't stop because the power is just too much, right? And he's mm-hmm. being overtaken by it in in not just a psychological way, but now a physical way. Now he just can't stop absorbing power, I suppose. Which was interesting. Yeah, it was really gross, and I liked it. But yeah, it is. It, yeah, it is interesting because especially when Akira's blast hits him, he starts to de-evolve i guess like go back to his normal self again probably context that we're missing here Maybe. or or it's more expanded upon in the book since you know the final book came out after the movie was finished so right. that makes sense. i'm sure i'm sure uh Otomo was like here we're gonna we're gonna really stretch this out and make people understand mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah yeah, I don't know, man. I just know I, I liked it. I didn't understand yeah. a lot of it, but I liked it. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's sort of a cool place to be. You know, it's it's sort of like yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> I'm just vibing yeah. with it. You know. <laughs> um, well, um, I'll I'll end on this before we uh, wrap up, wrap up, wrap up. Um, you know, you could definitely see Akira's influence on um, on the rest of anime going forward f- from 1988, um, especially in animation style. I mean, things did kind of go back to the over-exaggerated um, uh, designs sure. of characters. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to get rid of it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, there's still a place for it. But... One that I would consider, I think, had the best in terms of design, um, and it is considered an anime, even though it was made by a uh, an American animation studio, um, The Last Airbender. Yeah. Uh, what did you think I was going to say? I don't know. I, I honestly had no clue. Uh- <laughs> yeah, The Last Airbender, um, for for the those Nick babies out there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, like, 
because that is considered an anime like japanese yeah yeah technically uh i've been told that japanese um uh um animators consider it a fantastic anime um but you know i feel like akira influenced that in terms of design because all the characters in the last airbender are designed proportionately Mm -hmm. you know they're not they're just regular people yes there are those occasional episodes where you know their eyes bug out and things like that but Nine times out of ten, it's it's pretty um, hmm. grounded. Didn't really get so. into it, so I don't. Know. <laughs> I didn't get into I didn't get into the Legend of Korra, which is like hundreds of years after the events of Last Airbender. So weird. Yeah, not interested. <laughs> Honestly, can I? Okay, so a, a little a little part of me uh-huh. thought you were going to say the Boondocks. I mean, I I, I was. <laughs> <laughs> like five percent of me was like is he gonna say boondocks that's gonna blow my mind and you didn't and it's fine um well yeah but i mean <sighs> i know it's fine you don't but i'm sure but i'm sure some of those animators wouldn't be where they are without akira that's true which is my which is the point i was making yes agreed um actually it this will segue nice into uh, an episode we'll do later this season um, for my pick, as a matter of fact, um, that is anime that is grounded in reality, kind of. So uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll get to that yeah. uh, later yeah. on. Yeah. Well, uh, well, buddy, are you ready to uh, wrap up, wrap up, wrap up? Yeah, this steps of the wash. Uh, I feel like we didn't fucking <laughs> talk about anything. I said nah. nothing of value, but it's okay. And um, it just, you know, I, I liked the movie. It was great. Um, and it deserves all the praise it gets. It deserves all of the, the amount of times people say, oh, this is an influence from Akira. Of course it is, because Akira is sort of like the 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 beginning of modern anime right yeah um so for better or for worse right i you know again i'm not a huge fan but of anime but you know it's whatever Uh, people seem to like it (laughs) (laughs) i am Uh, a minority i believe yeah yeah uh yeah my my buddy quentin is still trying very hard to get me to watch one piece and that's over like fucking six hundred episodes or some shit like that. It's a lot. I'm like, it's a lot dude, of episodes. I don't got, I don't got time for that, bro. How long has it been going? Like thirty years? Like, well, we... pretty much. Like huh. since the since the nineties, I'm pretty sure. Okay. And it's Interesting. Still going on. Wow. Um, uh, I mean, so much so that Netflix decided to turn it into a live action adaptation. I've heard of it. I've heard of that. Um. Again, no disrespect. It's not for me. But uh, yeah, it's it's for it's for most people, I guess. Yeah. Well, well, buddy. Um, so what are we talking about next week? That's a good question. I have an answer. Uh, I'm, I'm not just stalling for time. Um, yeah. So uh, this week was fun. Um, again, I probably should have watched the movie again, but it doesn't matter. It's it's over. Um, 
and next week we're gonna have some fun i don't i don't want to work hard you'll have to i won't uh because i've seen this movie a ton of times um next week we're gonna be talking about damien chazelle's whiplash um, oh jesus christ next week. uh this is a movie that as soon as i saw it i left the theater i wanted to see it again immediately uh, it was amazing um and i'm excited to uh to share this with you um god it's good and, so yeah. to, so just like with dear zachary i'm i'm scared Scared. to watch it it's whiplash well because i've been those probably me yeah. uh i've been actively avoiding it even though you gave me a copy mm-hmm. just because i know how intense it is mm-hmm. um and to be honest i don't want another anxiety inducing <laughs> movie but i mean i have no choice you you know the movies on our never list so yes Yes, I do. Well, on mine, on mine, never list. I don't have um, so, so yeah. So, so I have no choice but to agree. Um, but also at the same time, I mean, I'm excited. I love J.K. Simmons. I J.K. Think, Simmons I think, is incredible in this. Um, so here's a fun story to end on J.K. Simmons. Okay. Okay. It's nothing to do with Whiplash, so buckle up. <laughs> so, um. Billy West, as some of us know, is a voice actor, most notably uh, as the voice of Fry on Futurama. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is also, a lot of people might not know this, the Red M&M. Okay. Uh, oh, in the Red shit. In the M&M commercials. Yeah. That's Billy West. So uh, he has this story where he is, he is home and his wife is watching this show. And she is like, you, <laughs> she's like, you have to watch this show with me. It's absolutely incredible. He said, okay, what is it? He goes, it's called Oz. She said, he said, okay. And so she's like, dude, there's this character on here. He is the most sadistic, most brutal, most terrifying character I've ever seen on any show. He's a, he's the leader of the white supremacist group in this show, Oz. Okay. Which is a prison show, which is phenomenal, by the way, you should see it. And he sits down, and it's J.K. Simmons. And J.K. Simmons is given this brutal performance. He is tearing into this screen. He steals every scene he's in, and he starts laughing. And his wife goes, what is wrong? He goes, I know that guy. He's the yellow (laughs) (laughs) M&M. He goes, that guy's a goofball. What are you talking about? Uh, That's... That's awesome. Yeah. And now now J.K. Simmons is uh, Omni-Man in Invincible. Dude, J.K. Simmons, he's awesome, man. Um, and again, he's taking that intensity of Oz. Those of you who have seen Oz, you understand. Um, and just putting it as a as a jazz composer. That's what it's um, Yeah. It's amazing. Um, and I'm excited for you to see it. Yeah. And one more thing before we leave. Also, I was going to say, uh, I also love Miles Teller. Yeah. I think he has uh, also proven himself uh, a really good dramatic actor from going into these from these really dumb comedies to more dramatic roles. Uh, that's not to say that I didn't like 21 and over 21 and over is fucking hilarious. But I think Miles has uh, since proven himself a, a good dramatic actor. So 
Definitely. And this, I think this sort of catapulted that for sure. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, all right, everyone. Well, we, uh, we hope you enjoyed Akira and we will see you next week for whiplash.